Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, you listen to the words more keenly, more interesting in the words of a dying person. Now, a lot of you know, and I've been thinking about it recently, I really, really, here recently, been missing my mom and dad. And I know it's all part of the grief process. Dad passed away, went home to be with the Lord back in September. He's only 72, not, not elderly by any means. And then we got through the holidays, and then mom, age 70, January 7th, passed away. I was not able to be with my dad in his dying moments, but uh, as mom neared the end of her life, I was able to be there, stay dialed into what she was saying. I mean, when somebody gets to the end of their life and they have something to say, you want to hear it, and it really matters a whole lot. And Jesus had seven statements that he made in the waning moments of his own life, seven statements that he made that are life transforming and starting today. And then it's going to lead us right up to Easter and we'll take a time out. We'll have Easter and it will be an incredible day. It will be our biggest and our best Easter that we have ever had here. That, that will happen. We'll pick it up right afterwards with a couple of more of his statements but we're going to be looking at it for the next few weeks, and I just encourage you to be here. I encourage you to bring people with you, and you're going to understand why the deeper we get into this series and we look at seven words from the cross, the seven last words of, of Jesus. Now, on Easter, it's going to be an incredible day, but we're not to Easter yet, so what I actually want to do in this series is I want to focus on what happens three days prior to Easter. To begin, we're going to look at Luke 23, And we're going to read more verses than we normally would start with. But I want you to hang in here with me because I want you to see sort of the content, sort of the setting, the passage here. Uh, The guys are going to put it up on the screen. Luke 23, let's begin at verse 27. It says, a large large crowd trailed behind him, behind Jesus, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now really dial in at verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, and it was called the place of a skull because when you were standing back from a distance and looking at it, it was sort of the shape of a skull. They nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now look at what Jesus said. You just saw it on the screen. Jesus said, read it with me, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Let's read it again. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. But this is what you've got to know, and I've got to know, Jesus was not interested in saving himself. Jesus was interested in saving us and our loved ones and our family members and our friends. That's why Jesus went through the agony of the cross. The time of his arrest has not been that too far removed. 
In fact, it's only been a short time before what we just read, that Jesus was arrested. In fact, by the time we get to Luke 23 here, Jesus has already been up all night, no sleep, because after his arrest, he has gone through six trials, six, if you can imagine, all of them which were illegal, three that were Roman trials and three that were religious trials. Right afterwards, Jesus, we know, uh, prior to being nailed to the cross, would be brutally beaten. He would be spit upon repeatedly. He would be ridiculed. A crown of thorns has been now forced onto his head. And for a lesser man, when you really think about it, friends, for a lesser man, utterances from the cross would not have been what we have just seen in red. Father, forgive them. His words for a lesser man would be dripping with rage and revenge and retaliation, but not so with Jesus. Instead, he says, and the full, effect, the full effect of it is being felt even in our lives today. Father, forgive them. How can you think about forgiveness? How can you think about forgiveness during a torturous experience like a crucifixion? But Jesus said, because all of you that have gathered here today, you matter a whole lot to Jesus. And I want you to be sure you get this before we dive in. Jesus wants you to know, hear me now, what it is like to be forgiven. Jesus wants you to know what it is like to be free from the enslavement of, of guilt. If you could understand forgiveness, then you could live a guilt-free life for the rest of your life. Let me say that again. If you could understand the profound effect of Jesus' forgiveness that was initiated at the cross then you could live the rest of your life guilt-free. We read about, we, we buy so many things that are free. We buy fat-free and sugar-free and this-free and, uh, you know, all of these things. But if you could imagine, if you could imagine this reality that somehow, and it is possible because of what Jesus did, that you could live the rest of your life guilt-free, that would be an amazing place to be because most of us do not live there. Most of, the, most of us do not have our address there. But we're going to talk about it today, and we're going to talk about how it is possible. Now, you know what it's like. This is not a trick question. I'm not into trick questions. So I'm going to go ahead and, and raise my hand just so that you know it's okay. How many of you, you know what it's like to feel guilty? You, you have felt guilty, and we won't even, you know, you know, sub, uh, you know separate feeling guilty, uh, you know, in the past or feeling guilty, but all of us know what it's like to feel guilty. And how do we typically deal with our guilt? And it's basically three things, and I, I want you to be sure you get this. Anytime that we are feeling guilty, and all of us have or all of us are, there are generally speaking three things that we do. One of the things that we do when we feel guilty is we try to bury it. We try to bury. It's uncomfortable to us. We don't like the feeling of it. So what do we try to do? We try to bury our feeling of guilt. But the problem with bearing our guilt is that we cannot keep it buried. Either we're going to keep reminding ourselves how that we blew it at some point in the past, or there's going to be other people who will not let us forget what we have done and keep reminding us of it. So a lot of times when we're feeling guilty, we say, well, I know what I'll do. I will bury it, but burying guilt never works. I want you to listen. It's not on the screen. I want you to listen to the words of David. King David said this in Psalm 32. He said, when I refuse to confess my sin, when I refuse to do that, he said, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. It's taken a toll on him. He said, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated, and he uses analogy, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. 
He said, finally, I confessed all my sins to you, God, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I was done burying my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. Now all my guilt is gone. So you and I, a lot of times when we're feeling guilty, and I know that you feel like I feel, that we want to find a way from the Bible how that we could potentially live the rest of our life guilt-free. Well, how do we do it? It's not going to happen by burying our guilt. I want you to think about something that you rarely think about if you've ever thought about it before. I know it's generally not in our consciousness as such, but here's a reality. How many of you know that even before you drew in your very first breath, even before you were born, that God knew every detail that would take place in your life? How many of you believe that? How many of you know that before God even created you, that God knew how many mistakes you were going to make in your life? How many of you, you know that? God knew that about you, but this is the part that we don't think about. Even though God knew all of that about you and about me, this is what God said, I'm going to do. I'm still going to create you, and I'm still going to love you. I know everything about you. I know everything you're going to do, everything you're going to say, but I'm going to create you anyhow, and I'm going to love you anyhow. And so what if instead of burying our mistakes and sins, we would ask God to forgive us and just say, God, I want you to forgive me. I know that I've done wrong. What relief would come? What freedom would come? We'd not only be able to get all of that off of our chest, we'd be able to get it out of our mind. Burying our guilt is never, never the solution. I want you to look at this verse right here. Look at what it says with me. Here it is. I promise it's coming up. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide or bury your sins. What does the Bible say? Confess them. Confess your sins and give them up. Then here's what's going to happen. God is going to show mercy to you. So how many of you, you, you're like me, you have or you're feeling, you have felt guilty before. Just wave your hand like this so that I know that you feel like I've felt. All right. And what do we typically do? We will try. Firstly, we'll sometimes try to bury it. Here's another thing that we'll do. Secondly, be sure you get this one now. If we don't try to bury it, here's what we'll try to do. We'll try to blame other people. We'll blame other people. Now, do you know how long this has been happening? Do you want to you think with me about how long this has been going on? This has been going on thousands and thousands of years, uh, all the way back to the very first two people that ever walked on planet Earth, and we know that to be Adam and Eve. And everything that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God in the Garden of Eden was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was peaceful until Adam and Eve decided, at least in their own imagination, that they were smarter than God, and when they thought that they were smarter than God. They said, well, I'm not really going to do what God says. I'm going to do what I want. And they rebelled against God. And immediately it it began to fragment the relationship that they had enjoyed with God. And God is not going to forget about them. God is not going to leave them alone. God is going to pursue them. So God finds Adam and God knows everything that Adam and Eve has done. So God finds Adam and he begins to interrogate him about it. He begins to question Adam about what did he do? And God already knows, but he wants to ask Adam, and, you know, uh, what, is, what does Adam do? Adam, Adam takes it like a man, and I want you to see what he does in Genesis 3. He takes it like a man. Look at what he says, Genesis 3, 12. The man answered. He takes it like a man, doesn't he? He says, you want to know why it happened, God? That woman. That woman. That's why it happened. It was her. In fact, he indicts not only the woman, but he also, he now blames not just Eve, but God. Look at the next part. 
He says, not only that woman, but then he adds this caveat, the one you gave me. God, have you not given her to me in the first place? I never would have done it. So it's not really my fault. It's her fault. And I guess, God, while we're talking about it, since you gave her to me, it must be your fault. So he blames Eve and he blames God. Now, because we don't like this feeling, none of us do. If you do, that's a whole other issue we need to be talking about because nobody I know likes to feel guilty. But if you feel guilty, one of the ways that you will try to salve your soul, if you don't try to bury it, you'll just blame other people. You'll, you'll blame, you know, uh, you know uh, people in your life. In fact, can I just state it this way? Blaming today has become an epidemic. There is an epidemic of blame going on in our society. It's never my fault. It was my parents. It's my parents' fault. I wouldn't have done what I've done if it wasn't for my parents, if it wasn't for my friends. It was my girlfriend. It was my boyfriend. It was my husband. It was my boss. It was my sister. It was God. But it wasn't me. Because we feel guilty and we hate the feeling of feeling guilty, we've got to figure out something to do with it. And if we don't bury it, then sometimes we'll blame other people. We may even blame God. This verse is not on the screen, but listen to it carefully. Proverbs 19.3 says, Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions and then blame the Lord. So what do we do when we're feeling guilty? We will bury it. Secondly, we'll blame other people. Or thirdly, and a lot of us do this. In fact, a lot of us are at a pro level in doing this. And that is, thirdly, we beat ourselves up. We just beat ourselves up. Do you know that most of the pain that you and I encounter in our life comes from either resentment or guilt? You think about it. Most of the pain that you've encountered or are encountering in your life comes as a result of one of two things, either resentment. And resentment is based on, I feel resentment based on what other people have done to me, or I feel guilt, and that is on the basis of what I've done to other people. The thing about that is, is our bodies are not designed and wired to carry a heavy load of guilt long term. Listen again to King David. It's not on the screen, but listen to what he said. He said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a load. It weighs me down. Because I was foolish, I'm bent over and bowed down. I'm sad all day long. I just keep beating myself up. I just keep, and some of you have been doing that. You know what, as clearly as I know my name, this is what I know. Some of you, in fact, many of you, have been blaming yourself and beating yourself up for a long, long time for things that you did weeks ago for things that you did months ago. Some of you right here, you hear what I'm saying right now. You're fully dialed in, and you are carrying guilt, and you've been carrying guilt over something that you did years ago. And you just beat yourself up again and again. You've been doing it for weeks or months or years. I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe that I did that. And and you just keep beating yourself repeatedly. Are, Are you... Are you really going to live the rest of your life that way? You don't have to. What if we just said, well, you know, I don't believe that's what God wants me to do. That is not going to help me to deal with my guilt. It's not going to help me to live a guilt-free kind of life. But we typically do that concerning our guilt. We'll bury it or we'll blame other people for it or we'll beat ourselves up. But how should we? What does the Bible tell us to do concerning our guilt, our sin? I'm going to touch on a couple of things here. And then I'm going to tell you how Jesus deals 
And you're going to want to hear that, how Jesus deals with our guilt and our sin. But what should we do it? We shouldn't bury it. We shouldn't blame others. We shouldn't just keep beating ourselves week after week, month after month, year after year. Instead, we should admit. That's the first thing that I want you to consider here is that we should admit what we did wrong. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus, anytime you blow it, anytime you sin, there's going to be an internal disturbance. And that's a good thing an internal disturbance. And and part of that is going to happen because uh, what you have is God has blessed you. Hear me now. God has blessed you with a keen mind and a finely tuned conscience. And so what's going to happen, you're going to do something as a follower of Jesus, and and your your conscience is going to tell you, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. That was a huge mistake on my part. And that's been given to you as a gift from God, a keen mind, a finely tuned conscience. In fact, Proverbs, not on the screen, Proverbs 20, 27 says, the Lord gave us a mind and a conscience we cannot hide from ourselves. Now, we can hide our guilt, our sin, our shame from other people, but the reality is we cannot hide it from ourselves because we have a conscience. Another reason why when we do something we should not do as a follower of Jesus and we feel, an, you know, this internal disturbance, it is, and this is a wonderful thing, and you ought to be thankful for it, even when it feels uncomfortable at, at times, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Because when you prayed and you invited Jesus to become the Savior and the leader of your life, here's what happened. The Holy Spirit moved into your life. And he said, when I move in, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to guide you, I'm going to comfort you, but I'm also going to convict you. And you're going to have your conscience, and you're going to have your mind, but you're also going to have me as a person, operative, fully God, in your life. And when you do something you should not do because I love you enough, I'm going to cause, I'm going to create some, some disruption in your life to get your attention. Now, God does not do that because he's opposed to us. God does that because he loves us. And we feel it. We'll feel it through the Holy Spirit, or we'll feel it through our conscience. Maybe, maybe you've not done this exact thing, but I, I like the story about the guy who was feeling some, you know, his conscience has, had kicked in. And this is guy, listen to what happened. A man who sent a check to the government, and the reason he sent the check to the government was for some back taxes that he owed. He attached a note to the check that he sent uh, to the IRS, and, and I'll quote, here it is. This is what he wrote. He said, I felt so guilty for cheating on my taxes, I had to send you this check. If I don't feel any better, I'll send you the rest later. <laughs> I don't feel it yet, but if I feel it later, I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you some more money. But unlike Adam, and based on what our own human inclination is, when we sin, when we make a mistake, You know what we need to do? We need to admit it. We need to own up to it. To confess to God simply means that I admit to God that I did wrong, that I take responsibility. I don't blame other people, and I choose to go God's way. But to continue to wallow in my wrongs or to carry a heavy load of guilt around as though God is somehow penalizing and punishing me, that, that is not God's plan. That is not God's will. God doesn't want you to live the rest of your life that way. So we should admit what we did wrong. Secondly, under how should we deal, not how do we typically, but how should we deal, we should admit what we did wrong. And then secondly, we should ask God to forgive us. Ask God to forgive us. I want everybody to read this verse with me here on the screen. 1 John 1, 9. Let's all of us read it together. Here we go. God is faithful and reliable 
If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. From what we've done wrong? What? Everything. Everything we've done wrong. Do you realize this? Please hear me. I, I, I want you to be sure this just really is, is captured by you in your heart and your mind. Do you realize this, that God wants to forgive you even more than you want to be forgiven? He does. God wants to forgive you even, though, even more than you want to be forgiven. But because we do not actuate this, because we do not think about it, as a result of that, we approach God's forgiveness with the wrong attitude. And we've all done this. We've all done something like this. Instead of coming before God with the right attitude, we don't understand really fundamentally that God wants to forgive us even more than we want to experience the forgiveness of God. So we resort to some wrong approaches to God's forgiveness. Here's something that maybe you've done, I've done it, and that is we beg, we plead. God, I'm begging, I'm pleading. God, it's, it's like God is unwilling to do something that God really wants to do. And so we've got we've to beg God, we've got to plead with God to do that. And God has a problem with that, by the way. Let me give you the human sort of context of that. Most of you know by now, most of you know I've got two incredibly beautiful granddaughters. Now, I, I, I know I'm, you know, when you're in your 30s, you shouldn't have grandkids. I, I realize that. All right, so maybe I'm beyond that now, but I've got two beautiful, beautiful granddaughters. By the way, and I'm so excited about this, I'm counting down the days. Uh, our little granddaughters are going to visit in less than two weeks, and I've already got it picked out. I'm so excited about that. I can hardly wait. I'm going to Family Fun Center. I'm going to the park. I'm going to the beach, and I'm going to Disney. At least that's what I've been told by the three-year-old. <laughs> now, Kinley, who's three, she, she can talk. She can talk big, big time. And in fact, she had a broken toy this week, and her dad was pointing out her, her toy was broken, and she looked at it a second. She said, you're right. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. <laughs> Landry, who just turned one, she cannot talk, but I am a, never had been a, until they moved a few months ago. I've never been a, a big fan of FaceTime, but I'm, I'm like a, a major fan now. And so Kinley won't talk, and I mean, Landry won't talk because she's just one. When she does start talking, I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful thing. So we find other ways to communicate. Just this week, I, I was, you know, her little chubby cheek face is right there. And, and, and so I'll say, Landry, Landry, I'll, I say, are, are you ready? And I started this, and now she keeps doing it every time I'm talking to her FaceTime. I just thought, well, I'm going to experiment here. And I wanted to get her attention. I wanted to entertain her. So she's looking at me. I'm looking at her. And I just start whistling like this. And I just start, I'm like, just trying to entertain her. When I did that, she started saying. <laughs> and I just thought, well, that's, you know, that's, that's cute. But she just, that's a one-time deal. And so I, I keep saying, patty cake, a patty cake. And she'd like, and so I came back to it. I said, are you ready? And I said. <laughs> and she looked at me against her. <laughs> now, I, listen, to say I love these babies is the understatement of the century. If my little granddaughters were to come to me and were to say, Paul, Paul, I beg you, I plead with you, I, I beg you, why do I have, I beg, I plead. I'd, I'd have to say to them, there's something wrong with your understanding of our relationship. Are you with me on this? Why would you have to beg me and plead with me to do something for you that I already want to do? 
And God already, God wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven. But we don't understand it, so we've got to beg or plead. Or if we don't beg or plead, we bargain with God. You ever done this? And this is how that plays out. God, if you will forgive me of this sin, I will never do that sin again. And God starts laughing. He says, right. Really? Never again? I hate to tell you this, but uh, how many of you know this? Not a trick question. How many of you know everybody, and we don't all have the same ones, but how many of you know that everybody has their favorite sins? Everybody has their favorite sins. But we bargain with God, and we say, God, if you forgive me, I'm never going to do that again. God's like, really? Really? You never again? The rest of you, never again? So we don't understand how much God wants to forgive us, so we beg him, or we plead with him, or we bargain with him, when instead he just wants us to believe, to believe what his word says is true. I love what Romans says here. Look at it on the screen. This is Romans 3, 23 and 24. Yes, all have sinned. How many of you know you're in that category? I'm in that category. We've all sinned. All fall, fall short of God's glorious ideal. How many of you know? I, don't, I can't speak for you. I, I have a problem living up to my own standard, much less God's standard. All of us fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us what? Not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. I love it the way God does this. This is not true of people necessarily, but it's true of God. When we sin, God doesn't rub it in. God rubs it out. He doesn't rub it in. He rubs it out because he loves us. So how do I typically respond to my guilt? I I bury it or I blame other people or I just keep beating myself up and I may do that to my dying day unless I understand that I need to admit what I did was wrong. I need to ask God to forgive me. Now, having said these things in the last few moments, you really, really got to dial in right here. All right, you've got to listen more intently now and for the next eight minutes than you've listened up to this point because I want to end with talking to you about what does God's forgiveness look like? What does God's forgiveness look like? How does Jesus deal with our guilt? Remember what Jesus said? It's the first statement. We'll look at another one. And you will not, I'm just telling you, you will not want to miss the second statement that we're going to look at next Sunday. You need to be here. You need to not only be here, you need to bring somebody with you. You know, you've got a sense after today what we're doing in this series, and you're going to want to bring somebody with you. But you remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. A number of years ago, I picked up a book by Lee Strobel called God's Outrageous claims. He was a former atheist, sought out actually to debunk Christianity, but in the study of the Bible and trying to disprove Jesus, he believed who Jesus was and what he claimed to be, what he did. He became a Christian. In fact, I saw a display out in the lobby here, The Case for Christ, that was written. It's now apparently becoming a movie. It was a book written by Lee Strobel. And this is what he wrote. Listen to it. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs here. He said, people who have difficulty forgiving themselves for their past transgressions usually make one of two mistakes. They imagine their wrongdoing as being so big that it outstrips God's power to forgive, or they picture God's forgiveness as being too small to cover them. On either count, they're simply mistaken. He said, your sin can never be so great that it would disqualify you from your father's forgiveness. Think of it this way. Regardless of what you've done, what's the worst possible penalty that society could impose on you? The death penalty, right? No matter what you've done, that's the maximum penalty the world can levy, the death penalty. 
Now consider this, he writes. Jesus has already suffered the death penalty on your behalf to pay for all your sin. Jesus has paid the ultimate price. I want to give you, some of you have never heard this before, but it's going to help you to live a guilt-free life. I want to give you four ways that Jesus forgives, and then we're done. Number one, Jesus forgives, forgives instantly. Jesus forgives instantly. Should a Christian ever feel guilty? Yes, for about 10 seconds. That's how long it takes to admit it, accept responsibility, and ask God to forgive you. Jesus, why? Jesus forgives instantly. How do we know this? Read this verse with me. It's here on the screen, Isaiah 55, 7. What does it say? Our God, he is merciful and, everybody, and quick to forgive. Jesus forgives instantly. Secondly, Jesus forgives completely. Here's some good news. You do not have to do what you have probably done in the past. You do not have to confess the same sin to God 100 times. I mean, we do this, don't we? We confess our sin to God, and then later in the day, we think about it, and what do we do? We confess it, and then later in the evening, we, th- we, th- we confess it again, and we confess it again, and we lay down at night, and all we can think about, what, and we confess it again. At what point do we think God is going to forgive us? Is it like, all right, once I've confessed it 87 times, he'll now forgive me the 88th time? No. He forgives us completely. Corey Ten Boom, many of you know that name, writes, if we continue to make ourselves feel guilty, to continue to blame ourselves, then that is sin in itself. Look at these two verses out of Colossians 2. Look at them here on the screen. Verses 13 and 14. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. Look at this part. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. How many of you are grateful for that? Jesus forgives. Yeah, we can give him some praise. I want to do that. Jesus forgives instantly. Jesus forgives completely. Thirdly, Jesus forgives repeatedly. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever committed the same sin more than once? Have you? Yep. Have you? Sure you have. You ever committed the same sin more than one time? Sure you have. Now, Jesus, this is what Jesus did. Jesus said, this this is amazing to me. You remember one time when Jesus is actually coaching and mentoring one of his closest followers, and this guy's struggling to, you know, forgive? In fact, he's pretty proud. He's feeling pretty, you know, superior, pretty sanctimonious about his forgiveness, and he wants Jesus to be really proud of him too. So he comes to Jesus, and he said, I think I've got it now. Jesus, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to forgive seven times. And he felt really good about that because that was forgiving twice more, add an additional one than what was required. Because you were required as human human sort of relationship to forgive three times after that, tough luck. So this guy feels really good about himself. He feels more superior than other, other Christ followers. So he said, this is what? He said, Lord, should I forgive 77 times? And Jesus said, no, forgive 70 times seven. You just keep on forgiving. Now, let me ask you a question. Hear me now. Why would Jesus ask one of his followers to keep on forgiving if Jesus was not going to keep on forgiving? 
Jesus not only forgives instantly and completely, he forgives repeatedly. Now, I don't want you to be confused here. I don't want you to just say, well, does that mean I do whatever I want whenever I want as many times? No, this is what the Bible said. Should we continue sinning so that grace may abound? And Paul said, God forbid. No, that is not what the Bible means. No way, no how. We shouldn't just keep, you know, trying the grace of God. However, it is true that when Jesus forgives, it is instantly, it is completely, and if necessary, repeatedly. Fourthly and finally, Jesus forgives freely. In other words, we can't buy it, we can't earn it, and we certainly don't deserve it. Ephesians 1, 7, look at this last verse. For by the blood of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. Read these last seven words with me, everybody. Let's read them together. How great is the grace of God. Would you stand with me, everybody? Stand with me, and we're going to read it again. And then I'm going to pray. I want everybody to hold steady. Nobody leave. We're going to end right on time. Here we go. Here we go. Would you read it again with me? Last seven words. How great is the grace of God. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes?